Everybody, 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 drop your box. Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. I'm Sean Ross. I'm Evan Ross Katz. And we are talking episode 10 of Survivor 42, Tell a Good Lie, Not a Stupid Lie. And Evan, what did you think of this episode? I thought it was like such a good episode. It was just an excellent episode of Survivor. And although the vote was so obvious, it was always going to be high. And then when they presented the Jonathan thing, I was like, oh, they're doing that thing where they give you a second person only so that, you know, there's another viable option, even though it was always going to be high. In my mind, I was like, there's enough times now where it has been that other person that like, even when it seems obvious, there's enough room for it actually not going that way that it never is quite as obvious so the part of me that was like oh they think they're outsmarting me but like they're not going to do it i was like "Mm." although this time they didn't outsmart me they've outsmarted me enough now that like they've earned the they've earned the ability to just go you know status quo and still have it be entertaining and then i just thought this was like a really well like edited episode like marianne finding the idol felt really like validating um as a viewer and uh i just feel like you look at this cast right now and there's a like everyone is bringing something to the table everyone has personality this is a really dynamic final eight um so two thumbs up what about you yeah i think as a standalone episode i really enjoyed it for all the same reasons i think that the strategy was interesting because we did have this question where omer has put himself in a position where he really could have switched that vote. And I think we can debate whether High or Jonathan would have been the right choice. We can get to that a little later. But it's been really interesting to watch Omer set himself up it to be in the position he's in, especially uh, given you know the reward he went on and what he told uh, Mike about High and sort of just being like pretty sneaky. And I feel like it's been building up to this point for so long i feel like they've seeded that into the show appropriately and i just feel like it was very entertaining to watch and a good send-off episode for high i do have a complaint because what would this podcast be without some complaints and that is that we had this incredible sort of impactful tribal council last episode where Marianne and Drea both played their idols in a show of solidarity uh, to ensure that there wouldn't be a third black person sitting on the jury in a row. And the fact that there was next to no fallout from that whatsoever in this episode, I thought was very, very strange. And especially given, you know, There's been so much conversation about this tribal council in the past week, and uh, we talked about it on our podcast. We've had the uh, pleasure of being able to go back and forth with some of our listeners on, you know, what we got right and what we got wrong, and, you know, recognizing that we're 
two white men trying to talk about race and survivor uh, is a, is always a tricky situation to be in, and uh, and I've really appreciated the dialogue that we've been able to be in, and and being able to hear other opinions on that tribal council and that episode, and it really felt like it made a splash that was important, and then for them to open and not talk about that. I mean, the takeaway from all of that, if we just looked at this episode, is that Lindsay doesn't really want to be associated with Jonathan anymore. And it, as it was presented to us, actually had nothing to do with his reaction to the tribal council. It was actually to the bad strategy of uh, making Marianne the decoy vote or the or the split vote, uh, uh, trying to get Drea out, and so it was just a little confusing to me. I mean, we definitely had uh, a couple of comments from Marianne as she found the idol, talking about how uh, okay, you know, the game has made it so that she can play both uh, morally and strategically because this idol that she didn't have to play has now basically been replaced in her arsenal. Uh, but that's it. That's all we got. We really got nothing about uh, what Marianne sees her relationship with Drea being moving forward, because, of course, uh, Marianne was going into that tribal with the intention of voting Drea out, which, of course, changed seeing Rockstory on the jury. And it just would have been, I think, I think it's necessary that they would have shown some follow up and they just didn't. And it makes me wonder, like, how much does Survivor actually care about this story? Well, not only that, but half of the tribe was not at the tribal council. So there was a necessity mm-hmm. just to like fill people in on what happened in the sense of like, hey, you weren't there. Here's what just went down. And yeah, it's like, it's hard to imagine that conversations were not had. The, I mean, I think what we're led to believe is they just did not show them. And so that's mm-hmm. even more troubling, which, yeah, to your point about what Survivor says about all this is it's a little bit sweeping it under the rug, it seems. It's sort of like, okay, we're going to do a very special episode in which we you know, talk race, but it's going to be just that. It's going to be a very special episode. Whereas I think the larger message, and I think the one that was trying to be conveyed by both Drea and Marianne is this is not a single situation, right? This is something that players deal, people of color and particularly black players deal with all, th- all throughout the game, right? Um, and a lot of the conversation about the subconscious aspects of that, um, those are gonna, not going to stop manifesting themselves, right, moving forward. So it's a bummer that, and again, we don't really know. We don't know what the conversations weren't were had, if they were had, how many were had. Was it a big group? Did Marianne and Drea link up afterwards and sort of talk about their strategy moving forward, et cetera? But yeah, I think to not address it at all um, just sort of makes all of the the work that was accomplished in the last episode, and or even just the the opening up of that conversation, it sort of just feels like it dead ended in a in a way that I think it leaves a sour taste in the mouth of those who kind of want to see last week's episode. Um, and you know, similarly to the conversation that happened in forty one, they want to see this as a springboard to more change and more conversation than just you know this sort of one off time in which it's brought up. Yeah, even the fact that Marianne played her idol and there were people on the other team who the team that voted Roxroy out, like Omer, for example, is a close ally of Marianne. 
you know, what was the conversation Marianne had with Omer? I had to play my idol. Here's why I felt I had to do that. Here's what the conversation was at Tribal Council. Hey, why did you guys vote out Roxroy? I would really love to know because that really impacted our tribal in a big way. What are we going to do moving forward? Is it like none of, like those conversations had to happen. And I'm not I'm not saying that Marianne and Drea are required to go back and sit down with the tribe and talk about uh, their feelings uh, post tribal. Um, I don't think that that's that's a necessity for them, but I think it's a necessity for the show to show the organic fallout of that tribal. So it felt weird in that aspect. Otherwise, a strong episode. So it's complicated. Uh, okay, well, let's get into the recap then, because uh, as I said, we do see the two teams come back from Tribal Council. And I think the big takeaway here is that Mike was not happy to have voted Roxroy out. And I think Omer picks up on this very cleverly and manages to spin it to kind of like very subtly, I think, put the blame on high, which is what Mike already sort of was feeling because Remember, High was the one that pitched this to Mike. High wanted to get Mike's blessing to do this. And so Omer kind of picks up on that and says, like, I'm so sorry for the way that you felt that you had to do that. Uh, you shouldn't have felt that you had to do that. Meanwhile, we know that this was Omer's master plan the whole time. So I think that this was really masterful and, and paired with, you know, what he's going to do at the reward and then with the vote. I think Omer's just playing such an incredible game. I think Omar is playing an incredible game, and I am surprised that more people don't play Omar's game because I don't think it's necessarily that, like, it's not that high level, right? He's just duping people right and left and doing it really because he has such a sincereness to his interactions with these people. He's able to do it really well. And he don't get me wrong. I'm not taking anything away from the quality of his game. It's it's so impressive to watch. I just can't help but feel 42 seasons into the game. We haven't seen a ton of people do this. and may, or, or perhaps we have and they just haven't been as good at it. But like, I just think I'm, I'm surprised to see someone not doing the things he's doing because they seem so, I don't want to say they seem obvious but they seem like yeah in that situation it's like why wouldn't you in that situation pair the two that are excuse me take the two that are closer and sort of work both sides um and sort of divide them you know in that psychological way that he's doing because you know from the outside it looks like they're all in this together and he's basically saying i'm gonna drive a wedge in between these two but they won't know it's me doing it they're going to think it's each other that's doing it and i'm just the one forwarding the information along which is so clever but like I, I would do the same thing. And I don't think I'm that clever. So it's like, I'm, I, yeah, I just, I am surprised we don't see it implemented more. But like I said, maybe we do. And he's just the mastermind. Yeah. I mean, I think that we do see people attempt this. I'm trying to like think of examples and I can't really come up with many, but we do see people sort of tell lies or leak little bits of half truths to people but the problem is in a situation where you have Mike and High who seem very close, uh, that could be fact checked really easily. And I think that that's typically what happens is that is that in a typical scenario, Mike would go to High and say, hey, I'm just a little concerned. Like, this is what I'm hearing around camp. Like, he doesn't even have to name Omer. And then High just has to have a genuine reaction to that where he says, that's not true. And I think that Mike... Uh, well, I hope he's good enough to read genuine reactions. I mean, it's it's either uh, it's either a knock against Mike for not being able to 
recognize a lie or it's a credit to Omer for being able to lie so well that or a little like, bit finds these believable. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, but I think for most people, if you're face to face with somebody and and you confront them with information and they react to it in the moment, I think you could probably tell whether they're lying or not. And so I think in a lot of scenarios in survivor history, when this kind of thing happens between two tight allies, they just sort it out and the 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 weasel gets exposed. And in this case, uh, that just didn't happen. We didn't see Mike go to high and confront him with this information because I think it had already been brewing uh, because of the Roxroy vote that Mike felt strong armed into it and then sort of was already naturally breaking from high. And so Omer found that crack and that's where he put the wedge. The, the, the crack already existed. I think often when we see this, People are trying to create the crack uh, where here Omer's just taking advantage of it. But I think this is one of the things that is taken from the 26 day game um, that we get in the 39 is I don't get the sense that like any of these people are as close as some of the bonds. Like, okay, so for instance, because it's top of mind, I recently was rewatching One World and that bond between Chelsea and Kim is just, it's so deep and it's so much bigger than the game. These bonds, all of these bonds right now seem very game oriented. I mm-hmm. don't see like real, like solid friendships emerging. So as much as like Hi and Jonathan, excuse me, I always confuse Mike and Jonathan. As much as Hi and Mike are this duo, I don't get like the sense that like they're not going to go down in like the canon of great survivor duos by any measure. I believe they were working together, but I don't believe they have like this deep seated like desire to bring each other to the end. I think that they are two people that were working together from the get go and it's been convenient to continue to work together. But that's one sense I get from this 26 day game is the bonds just feel a little more either fluid or just less strong. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And I guess we only have 41 to compare it to. And I I mean, I don't know for sure. But the 41 cast doesn't seem tight to me. I think. But even I think, yeah, even Erica and Heather, who are like the duo, they again, just comparing uh to like, iconic duos of the past, you know, Parvati and Amanda, for instance, it's just like, there was a bond there that you know, you And it's not even necessarily about hanging out outside the game, but I just don't think that these people, you because you don't get a ton of scenes of them bonding over things, and then like when we have had them, for instance, like the Mike and Jonathan scene, they're just bonding over being men. You know what I mean? It's not like a, Mm -hmm. it's not like a, they're connecting on something deep on any level. It's just like, oh, we're men, and it's hard to be a man in the world. Yeah, bro, we got this. Like, so I just think that it it doesn't make these bonds feel like as solidified. Which I think, and and I often think it's those bonds, those outside the game bonds, again, going back to Chelsea and Kim, the reason Chelsea gave up her game essentially for Kim had very little to do with the game. It had everything to do with the fact that she had made a friend for life, that she was like, that's more important to me. And I don't think that you have that depth of of connection when the game is this short. Which, not to jump ahead, but real quick, I did want to say, like, when that family, when those videos from the family came around, I'm like, it's been two and a half weeks, bro. Like, it's just a little strange to me. And and also, they did not get very emotional this season. You know, comparatively, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking about Brenda, for instance, on, is it Game Changers? Uh, no. Uh, what's this what's the season with Brenda when her father comes and she loses Karen it? Mullen? 
Yes, yes, and yes, 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 yes. Um, anyway, just in terms of big reactions, again, but it's just like there's so I, I all of this to say, I think there are instances when the change in in pacing of the game as a result of you know the it being sort of uh, shrunk, I think it shows in certain aspects, and I think this is one of them. Yeah, I think people, especially former players, talk a lot about how the thirty nine days is maybe excessive because every third day is an off day where nothing's happening in their board. But I think that time probably contributes a lot to the cementing of bonds where you have nothing to do, you're bored, and you're just relating to people. And sure, it's not game time, but I think it's relationship time. And that ultimately impacts the game time because in these seasons where it's like a tribal every night, every second night, it's like, it's just game, 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 game. There is no time to like chit chat about life because you're constantly on. And so maybe we are missing that. And maybe there's a happy medium. I mean, maybe 39 days isn't necessary, but like maybe 31 days is. I don't know. No, no, no. I'm I'm good with 39. (laughs) I'm good with 39. Look, I'm trying to negotiate. I went to the Angelina School of Negotiation. (laughs) Okay. Uh, the next day, Lindsay's filling Omer in on Jonathan's bad strategy. Now, Lindsay says to Omer, I don't want to be basically guilty by association to Jonathan because everyone saw how bad he was at the strategy. And I have to read between the lines here and also say his reaction to the tribal council. I imagine that is playing into her uh, into her view here, her point of view here. Because she's saying, I just don't want to be associated with that. If that looks like my closest ally, I don't think that that's helpful for me. So, you know, I'm open to cutting Jonathan out. Okay, Uh, Lindsay goes idol hunting. And in, uh, in the same fashion as Danny last season, she just misses the idol, which we've talked about how they highlight the idol on the screen before and that we don't like it. In this case, I needed it because I didn't see any idol there. Plus, until they flashed those, yeah and i i actually watched the episode last night with a group of people which i seldom do and like just watching everyone get real hype seeing her miss it and then you know having the camera show us and giving us that sort of the audience knows what's really going on i think it worked really effectively in that moment particularly given what happened moments later yeah, which is, of course, that Marianne uh, gets up to go collect some firewood and just happens upon that idol. And it's it's not not just an advantage in the new era of Survivor. It's a pure idol, which I think is the first pure idol since season 40, I would want to say, because 41 didn't have a regular idol. So there's, there's no beware. There's no, fra- as Marianne points out, there's no bunnies. There's no mailbox. There's no stipulations. This is just an idol, which is honestly like in the moment, I hadn't thought about this, but in the moment I was like, oh, how refreshing. Like we don't have to like deal with some like way to get the idol or earn the idol. It's just an idol. I was curious though. Uh, so there clearly is, or there's most likely another idol still out there, being that Drea and and uh, Marianne both used their idols in the last episode. And I'm just surprised we didn't get more of an idol hunt at all from people. I just think, given that 
you know, the possibility of there being two out there, you would think immediately after that tribal, at the very least, there would be discussion of it, or some people going off, or someone like Romeo, for instance, who knows he's sort of on the out. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised we didn't get more of that. Because in these instances, they both were sort of like, well, I have other business to attend to, but I might as well idol hunt. It wasn't like a full out, like, I'm going to go out there for hours and search for an idol. Yeah. My guess, based on the way that the show presented this to us, was that they only planted one idol because I think there was a couple clues. One was that Lindsay said that typically when an when you know two idols have been played, so there's got to be at least one, maybe two. And so I felt like putting at least one kind of signaled to us that maybe there is just one. And then I also think that given the number of things that are active in the game. I mean, like nobody's using their extra votes. There's all these extra votes to go around. We've got the amulets. I mean, now one of our amulet holders is gone. So the possibility of one of those amulets turning into an idol is high. Mike still has his idol. Still have the knowledge is power advantage. Like there's a lot, there's a lot in play and I'm uh, not giving survivor the benefit of the doubt that they wouldn't want to put more in play, but I feel, feel like it's probably just the one. But to your point, absolutely, there had to have been discussions about it and there had to have been people searching. But also, if there only is one, like, that's not fair. Like, that's there. Uh, that's there's just rules, right? So it's like, if an idol gets played, it gets rehidden. <laughs> like, that's just how things go. I don't think they should be able to say, well, two got played, but we're only going to hide one. It's like, well, you put two in the game and the rule is the rule, so... I don't know. I feel like I don't I mean, know that don't that's get me wrong. I don't want two rule. more idols, but I also feel yeah. like they can't sort of just pick and choose as they see fit. I, because I, then what I, happens? I, is, I would prefer that they do. Well, I would kind of prefer they do in the sense that I don't want a second idol being played. But also, what if you're the person that's like, let's say you catch wind of the fact that Marianne has the idol and you're like, well, there's still one out there and you spend all this time looking for an idol that was never there that was supposed to be there. I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it. Well, I don't think that it's guaranteed. I don't think that that's like, I mean, it's certainly not in the rule book that they have to replant an idol when it's hidden. I think we've just become accustomed to that. And I would actually much prefer them to keep the players on their toes. And I liked but, how that played out in 41, that, that, okay, Danny didn't find this thing. Whether it was an idol or not, it might have just been an advantage. Um, but that they never found this other thing and that they were like, where is this idol? You know what right, I mean? Right, but I kind of feel like rules and a custom are sort of the same thing in Survivor because it's like the merge feast is not a rule, but like we're accustomed to the merge feast. And then well, they don't get the merge feast exactly. Anymore. But I'm saying when they wiped it out, people <laughs> feel a certain way about it because in their mind, the a rule of Survivor. But yeah, I mean, you're right. I hear you. I hear you. But I, I actually I like that they're mixing it up because usually they're mixing it up for the worst. Usually they're putting more shit in the game. In this case, they're removing stuff from the game. And on that, I am all for. But I hear you. Okay, let's go to the reward challenge where it's pouring rain, it's freezing, but Jeff is like, don't worry, guys. Today, it's going to be fun. We're just having fun today. Which, <laughs> I mean, like, it felt like Jeff was having to make up for the challenge not being complex, which I don't care. Like, this was a simple challenge. I think it's fine to have a simple challenge, especially for a reward. And it was like, it's not even that different of a challenge like i feel like something must have gone wrong and like they couldn't build an aspect of this challenge or something, something. and then jeff was like very self-conscious about it or something because like the fact that they started in the water like neck deep in water and then just had to run through the water and then go through an obstacle course the whole thing felt off a little bit it was like so <laughs> strange to me because it's like why not have a platform out there where they at least have to swim to shore 
Like it's like mm. either don't put them in the water or have them like out in the water with the swimming element. But yeah, as your point, it's like it it seemed like they were like putting things into the challenge for the sake of adding things to like to the description of the challenge, but things that don't actually factor into like the playing of the challenge. So in their mind, they're like, you're going to start off neck deep in water. You're going to have to run through the sand. And it's like, no, it's not that it's not that complicated. Yeah, it was just weird that Jeff pitched it as like, it's not going to be hard today. It's just going to be fun because they've done fun challenges in the past. I wouldn't describe this as fun. (laughs) I mean, it was just like a light. It was like challenge light and uh, whatever. It, it was it was simple, but I wouldn't say that it was fun. Um, when they played bocce in Samoa, that was fun. Mm. Um, they could have done that, but they didn't. So anyways, uh, they're playing for reward and it's the sanctuary reward, uh, which I believe Ricard won last season. Uh, they have pizza over at the Survivor Sanctuary, which actually was a name that they gave it last season. And they were able to sleep on beds under the stars. And um, this is also where we got the uh, family videos that aired last season, which we heard about from players in their exit interviews that were not aired. Um, And this season, uh, we did get them aired. But before we get there, iconic Lindsay wins. Lindsay beats out Jonathan for the first time this episode. Which and felt I was just very so validating. happy for her. Yeah, yeah, I feel like this uh, Lindsay emerged this episode. And what's interesting is for a while I was thinking there's no way Lindsay wins because, first of all, I think that they want a second female winner in a row. And I also think that Survivor, I think two things. One, I think that they do not want to have an under-edited winner again, male or female. And I think they're going to be extra conscious of that. So that was a knock against Lindsay up until this episode was her purple edit. I also think Survivor is going to be particularly careful with 42 and moving forward with really, they want winners that can do the podcast circuit, that have a presence about them, that can be ambassadors for the show well. I think there's going to be more of a consciousness about that. So something like, you know, I'm thinking about like a Nick from um, David versus Goliath. I think that is not an ideal winner moving forward. I think they really want people like your Sandras, like your Robs, like your Parvati's with chutzpah. And, and up until this episode, I would have been like, well, Lindsay does not meet that credential. But I really feel like Lindsay emerged this episode and in many ways, not just in the two challenge wins. Actually, I mean, she somewhat emerged in the last episode with the conversation with Jonathan. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this really cemented the Lindsay Assange. And it kind of makes you wonder, like, was this Lindsay there all along and we just weren't seeing it? Whether it be the edit or just she wasn't in a position where she needed to heavily strategize. But she just seems really well set up and not for nothing, that conversation earlier in the episode with Omar um, kind of gave me the sense that they are either working together, there's some sort of alliance between the two of them and they definitely seem, I don't want to discredit Drea because Drea would be up there, but they definitely seem like the two most like strategic players at present, I think. Um, And if they're working together, I mean, that is a badass duo. Well, yeah, they've been working together since day one when Actually, they, right. they were, were on both the on the Taku tribe. Yes, yes, yes. 
And so, but I think the difference now is they're st- they're the ones that are breaking off because it's basically like right. they're saying, you know what, maybe Jonathan's not for us. Maybe like his time has come to an end. And Marianne, I'm not sure exactly where she fits in with them. I think they're close, but Marianne was never really pulled into the big alliance, which both Omer and Lindsay were. So uh, it's interesting. I- I'm seeing Lindsay and Omer sort of break off from the Taku Four, and maybe they'll go further together. And especially now that Lindsay has revealed uh, at this reward that she is an amulet holder and that there are amulets in the game. And she revealed that to Omer and Mike, which I don't think she would have done lightly. So I think there is some weight to that. So, but also, to, you know, to your point about the, the under-edited uh, aspect of Lindsay's game, as of this past episode, I was looking at some uh, edgic statistics, and Lindsay is now even with Jonathan for confessionals as of this episode, which is kind of shocking. So I think Jonathan's confessional count has been going down in the past few episodes. Lindsay's has been going up, and now they're even. So uh, that's kind of wild to think about, given how invisible Lindsay was in the pre-merge. Uh, she's really emerging now, and like maybe that's giving... Erica edit. I don't know. Perhaps, but I feel like we really didn't get Erica. I mean, we got Erica with the hourglass, but then she purpled again until the very end. From at least for me, it felt that way. Whereas what the sense I'm getting is we're really seeing like the rise up of Lindsay. And so I'm curious, like it, I I guess we only have two episodes left, right? Is that it? Well, if we're down to seven. Yeah, maybe. At least two or three. But anyway, I have my sense is that Lindsay is going to, you know, become a main character uh, from now till the end. My sense. I could yeah. be wrong. Yeah. Okay. So Lindsay is the winner. But they're not going to the reward right away. They're going back to camp first where we get a little bit of, you know, classic survivor. They're cold. They're wet. They're miserable. They're having to survive in the elements. I mean, I don't love watching them wet. Uh, I know I know I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here because I always say that I want more survival in the show. But like this just makes me uncomfortable because I know when I watch that, I put myself in the situation and I'm like, that is the moment I would quit. Like as soon as my toes get pruny, I'm gone. Like call Jeff. I did love that Marianne, I think it was a confessional in which she stated the fact that like you want to do this game and you you want to like do, you know, feel it and you want to, you know, to have like the struggle of Survivor until you're at that point when you're kind of like, oh, I didn't, this is, I don't actually want this. I thought I thought I wanted it to be like as hard as it could be. I appreciated that perspective. I think that for me, watching this stuff is tricky in knowing how much more clothing they are given now than previous uh, contestants were on their season. So as, as wet and cold as I imagine that they are, they have it a lot better than so many other players of the past, particularly women who were given even less clothing than men. So it's a little bit like, I'm sure they're struggling, I have no doubt, but it makes me think about the struggles of their predecessors. I do also want to say in this package with the backstory of High, I thought that was real bad editing in the sense of everyone that I was with immediately turned to each other and was like, bye, High. Like we were getting this this backstory out of nowhere that was seemingly built around the fact that they were having a day in which they were struggling, but like, isn't every day a struggle? Like I'm sure it's rained on other days or I don't know. So that felt so shoehorned in there and it felt very much like, Oh, we're getting high's backstory. Goodbye. High. 
Yeah, I think it was. But but on the flip side, okay, wait, first, I think, yes, they're given a lot more clothes. But if all the clothes are wet, I don't think it matters. Like, I don't see that as a big difference. I see what you're saying. I think like on an average day, yes, it's it's certainly advantage, an advantage compared to the past. But I think on days like this where it's been raining for 24 hours, I don't think it matters okay, unless fair. they have some way of keeping stuff dry. But I don't I don't think they do. I hear you, and yet we got a brand new sweatshirt from Romeo at Tribal Council, which just <laughs> makes me think that there is more clothing. Like I think which that there one was is... it? His starry one, his starry yeah. night one. Yeah, oh, he's been wearing that. He's been wearing that. Oh, really? he was wearing it in the pouring rain. Yeah. Oh my bad. I felt like okay, yeah. maybe I'm not paying enough attention. It's new. Okay, no, but, but you're right. You're right. If it is wet, it doesn't really matter. But still, yeah. I I still feel like respect to the elders. But yeah, but your point I know, is valid. I know. I know. Okay, but also High's backstory. Yeah, I, I, if it's to say shoehorned is an understatement because it was like, um, you know, I can handle the rain because I've been through struggle. You know, I like that's like, mm, I, I get, I get it, but I don't know that it's like a d- deserved story for for what's going on. Do you know what I mean? And, and I, I just think there's better ways to tell those backstories than we don't have to be like, well, it's raining. And so I think about my childhood, which was difficult. Like, mm, no, I think you're just trying to get through the rain. Um, so yeah, it was definitely a signal that high might be in trouble, but there's also been many moments where they've given us a backstory and I'm like, oh, this person's in trouble and then they don't go home. I would say the far, the vast majority of backstories we get, the person does not go home. Um, so I wasn't sure if it was a red herring or not, but uh, I mean, as we know, he does go home. So <laughs> I think they were just trying to get it in there. But we do get this great scene where Lindsay and high are sitting on the edge of the shelter with Drea and Jonathan right behind them. I don't think that they were talking there. about who should go home and Lindsay pitching to high like I'm ready to vote for Jonathan. I don't think they were there. I think that was edited. I can't I I I'm being a conspiracy theorist. I think that they the four of them were there at one point and then I think that Jonathan and Drea got up at one point and they stayed there and continued that conversation and they cobbled that together in the edit. It was just, they're, they're smart players. They're not going to talk about eliminating the player who's sitting right behind them. There's, I just, I, there's no way I believe that. I think that was, I think Rewind that was the tapes. That's interesting. Like you could be very right. I just think yeah. that there's no way you would do that. Um, if anyone is perhaps listening to the podcast with information um, and wants to do a little bit of a, you know, manipulate their, their voice in any, any way where, you know, we tried last week, good. didn't work. Maybe yeah, this didn't week. Work. <laughs> no, but I, okay. yeah, there's just something about that where I was like, this is too good to be true. Um, or the other possibility is that like the rain was so loud or such, but I just don't. I That's think what I thought. It, yeah. But if you're high and again, I go back to that Lydia thing of like, high wants to play a perfect game. Like you're not talking about a limit. You're not literally sitting in the shelter talking with the, per- about the person you want to eliminate when they're sitting behind you and everyone's, you know, just watching the rain. It's not like he was in conversation with someone. I just think that was too strangely risky. So I don't know. I could be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, Let's go to the reward because it's that night that I guess they get picked up and shipped off to Sanctuary Island. They get pizza. They get videos from home. The way the videos from home started with just voices, which which is actually exactly how Ricard described this to us on 
our podcast when we interviewed Ricard post 41 that they just started hearing voices and it was like, wait a second, that sounds familiar. So so it's very much the same, I guess. Um, but it was kind of spooky. I thought it was spooky. And there's a moment when they start playing the voices where uh, you can see you can see a shadow of a person in the background, like behind Lindsay. And I assume it's like a camera production person, but because of like the weird lighting at Sanctuary with it's all like uh, fire lit, you for sure see a full human shadow in the background as we're hearing the voices. And I just felt like the whole thing was a little spooky. Mm. <laughs> um, but uh, to your earlier point, and not a super emotional videos from home moment. But I get it because if I was away from my loved ones for two and a half weeks, I'd be like, you know, <laughs> that, honestly, it's like two and a half weeks is like basically like it's a long vacation, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I have no doubt that they all miss their loved ones. But some of my absolute favorite scenes in Survivor history are watching those moments when they either even in the early seasons just read the letters or, or what have you. And I mean, you know, I think about like, Kimmy, for instance, you know? Um, and there's just so many moments that are just so heartfelt and this just felt a little bit like... Wah, wah. Yeah, I also feel like the loved ones weren't really giving much uh, in they the weren't. videos. Uh, Omer's girlfriend <laughs> was... <laughs> bless her heart. Very stiff. Um, you know, lifting up the cat beautiful. for 1.5 seconds. Yes. Beautiful, beautiful yeah. lady. Uh, but, okay, anyways... That they got their videos from home. Good for them. And it's interesting that they showed the videos from home this season. They did not show them last season. I think in our interview with Ricard, he speculated that had Erica been on the reward, we would have seen the videos so that we had more of an emotional connection to the winner. Is that what's going on here? Is one of these three winning? Could this even be our final three? Like there's a possibility of that as well. Um, And we do get some strat talk here where Omer pulls out his lie uh, where he tells Mike that hi came to him and he said Mike's my puppet he'll do whatever I say Uh, and it's intercut with these great confessionals where Mike says well you know that's completely believable because uh, that is exactly something that hi would say and that's exactly how I'm feeling about hi and Omer is then cut in saying, you know, I'll tell a lie, but not a stupid lie, which is a great callback to one of my all-time favorite Sandra quotes at the beginning of Heroes vs. Villains, where she says, I'll lie, but I'll make it a good lie. What do you make of everything here between Mike and Omer? I mean, I think it was pretty straightforward. I think Omar was very smart, but I also think his intelligence worked in the fact that I don't think Mike is incredibly smart. So I think that, and I also think Mike is, you know, uh, very passionate and is playing a more emotional game than perhaps Mm. he should. So I think what was bad about Mike is anytime you're fed information in the game of Survivor, you need to be thinking, okay, if this is true, blah, 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 blah. But if it's not, blah, 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 blah. And I felt like he immediately bought into what Omar was saying without any sense of, okay, but could there be a reason in which it's strategically effective for Omar to tell me this information, this, you know, Mm. could this be a lie and how would it serve Omar? And he didn't even give that any thought. So again, going back to like, yes, Omar made a great move, but he made a great move on a player who like 
was more easily manipulated. And what's funny is Mike's whole thing is like, I don't want to be High's puppet, but it's like, well, okay, well now you're Omar's puppet. You know what I mean? So it's just like, he's just bopping to the next one. So, but I actually, I do enjoy a player like Mike who like sort of like thinks he's in the driver's seat, but it's just being passed from passenger seat to Mm -hmm. a new car in another passenger seat. Yeah, Mike's stock, I feel like is plummeting because he was having such a, such a great arc pre-merge and then early merge and then just in the past couple episodes kind of since the Roxroy vote it's not been going great for Mike in terms of the edit I think uh, and then we get also this moment here where Lindsay takes advantage of the situation I think in a really clever way to be like oh so you want to target high well here's another reason he has this thing called an amulet which I also have and if we get him out my amulet becomes more powerful I'm allied with you guys like we can use this together, which I, th- I think is a ballsy move. I don't know if it's a mistake or not a mistake to bring it up. I think it's also ballsy going back to what I was just saying, where it's like, I was just trying to imagine her explaining that to them. So it's like, it's day one. And do you remember that challenge? Mm-hmm. We were gone for a while. Well, we found this thing. And then also the rules are so confusing to that amulet. So she has mm-hmm. to like explain them. And we've been, I was going to say, we've been shown and like I am told on many instances that Mike is not the smartest guy. And so just imagining her having to like explain both how they found it and then how it works. I feel like you also run the risk of probably less with Mike, but somewhat with Omar of them being like, well, could Lindsay be lying about this? You know what I mean? So much, uh, Mike shade today. I'm not a fan, but well, actually, no, I take that back. I'm not, Actually, no, like, I'm not a fan, but I love, like, I like having him on this cast, and I think he's a great and entertaining player, because I like people that are, like, holy themselves, and, like, Mike is, like, he's, yeah, and also, I will say, I think he lost a lot of stock for me during the conversation with Jonathan on the beach, but on the whole, I feel like Mike is, like, has a little bit of, like, some Tony in him of being, like, a really, like, there being some layers there and a great level of, like, he had compassion and like a willingness to get to know people. So no, I'm, I'm pro Mike on survivor. I am not pro like his strategizing or his game, but any shade is, um, I was going to say, I don't want to say it's unintentional, but I mean, it, 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 I, I do. I, I'm not a Mike Stan, but I like Mike. You have to be careful because there's a big, uh, yeah, there is. (laughs) You have to be careful because there's a big contingent on Twitter of the hashtag gaze for Mike. I don't know if you've, seen this i i have heard about it i guess okay. i would love to have a rep from gaze for mike call in and just express to me thread the needle between the gaze and then the mic like what is it well i think it's because mike came from the green tribe the vati tribe which uh became i think after daniel's exit was all queer except for mike who, who uh, was and on so it? mike was the ally. So we had Chanel, Hi, uh, and Lydia. And so it was it was all queer. Mike is the So people stood daddy the non queer person? They did, yeah, they did. Great. Love that. <laughs> Got it. And so I think it was also yeah. I think it was also in reaction to the survivors uh bigging up of Jonathan. I think they were like, no, 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 we're going for the other man okay i mean we have other options where are the gays for omar yeah true 
<laughs> yeah, we could unpack that a bit. Okay, so let's go to the immunity challenge where they are balancing a ball on a boat while also balancing on an inclined beam. Right. Once again, Lindsay wins. It comes down to Jonathan and Lindsay. Now, there's been some controversy here, and we did get a voice memo, which uh, I'm not going to be able to play. But I've also seen stuff on Twitter because people were mad that in the in-between, so of course you have to like level down the inclined beam each time, and Jonathan steps off in order to level down. And people were mad that he stepped off and thought he should have been thrown off the challenge. But I completely disagree. I think this is completely within the rules of Survivor because in the when when you're getting set up, what do they call that? The transition phase. If you fall during the transition, you're not out. That's the whole point of having a transition. And so like, well, I'm not trying to find reasons to keep Jonathan in the game. It's like, I don't think he broke a warrior in the challenge. It is just surprising because there was that talk earlier on in the season about like Jonathan being aware of the fact that he was a physical threat and could potentially be like an obvious choice to send home. And we've seen no strategizing on his part at all about him trying to hold back in any way in any of the challenges. He's like just completely brought it every single time. He's let alone, I'm not even just saying throwing a challenge, but also just maybe like, you know, not showing off so much. I mean, I'm even thinking about the reward challenge. I mean, they, Jeff blew the whistle or whatever, and like Jonathan's out of the water. Um, And so it's just interesting in watching these challenges play out how much he's sort of willing to be a challenge beast. And But perhaps in his mind, he's like, that's all I have at this point is I have to try Mm -hmm. and win these challenges. And it's interesting that he's not winning because, uh, you know, as somebody pointed out on Twitter, he's still tied with Courtney Yates for individual immunity wins. Uh, yes, one. but uh, T, I, I, it's also, this is the second week of individual immunities. Maybe the third, but third. like, okay, but yeah. like, there's a lot of game left to play. Like, I, I think that like, he could absolutely emerge as a challenge uh, piece. So true, I think like, true. don't get me wrong, that statistic is important and I'm glad we brought it up and it should be brought up, but I think we're a little early in the individual immunity win, like uh, the uh, opportunities to really chalk that up to anything. Yeah, but Tori beat him twice. Hey, and look, she might be anti-vax, but she was serving a tribal. I'll give her that. Maybe it's because she didn't have the vaccine. Maybe she was stronger. Mm. I'm kidding. We're going to get labeled with a (laughs) vaccine misinformation warning. (laughs) Get your vaccine. Get your booster. COVID is real. (laughs) Okay, let's go back to camp where Jonathan's showing everyone his monkey run. Uh, so he's not too worried. Uh, High wants Jonathan out. He talks to Mike. Mike says, like, I don't love it, but I'll do it. I don't have a handshake with Jonathan. I can do this. But, of course, to the camera, Mike is telling us, I'm just going to tell High whatever he wants to hear, but I'm not his puppet. I'm going to act like his puppet, but I'm sending High to the guillotine, which is quite a graphic yeah, uh, image. Okay. Don't love that. So then we have Mike going to Jonathan, telling him the whole plan. You know, High's trying to get you out. We're voting for High. And then we get to see everybody go around. And it's just the the tide has turned against High very quickly. Um, It's interesting here that there's not a lot of conversation about getting Jonathan out. Because, you know, we see everybody uh, like Lindsay, Marianne, Drea, 
Jonathan, Omar, they're all happy to get high out at this point because I guess he is the strategic threat. Uh, he's playing the game hard, but also like turning people off while doing it. But there's not a lot of discussion about like, well, isn't this the right time to get Jonathan out? And I feel like that's a bigger debate that should have happened. Maybe it did happen, but we didn't see it. Also, is high a strategic threat if everybody wants him out of the game? Mm. Like that's actually kind of bad strategy in my mind. It's like, you could say that Romeo has a better strategy in lying low right now, or Marianne, mm -hmm. who had a target on her several weeks ago and is completely off of consideration. I just think sometimes they do this thing where it's like, they present someone as like a very strategic player, but it's like, there's not one definition of like what it means to be strategic. So yes, is high having more conversations that we're seeing on the show about the game? Sure, but I don't think that necessarily makes you a good strategist because your name is coming up a lot from people that want you out, which to me means that you are not good at strategizing. Yeah, and I think that they show us this when high goes to talk to Jonathan and he has, the, like he says, to play my fake idol plan, which I have we heard about the fake idol plan before? I don't think we have. Like, this was new to me. But he goes to Jonathan and says, I found an idol by the well, and I'm willing to play it for you. This is why I think that we got a little bit of acting um, in this episode. Because, again, going back to the Lydia thing, high wanting to play a perfect game, that was a very Hail Mary move to make. So if he was so blindsided by tribal council and he wants to play a perfect game, that was such messy gameplay. And when you get messy, you get messy when you think you're on your, your final leg, when you, know, when you need, you know, like I said, the Hail Mary, which makes me think, I knew he was going home, but I think everyone around me was like, oh my God, this was the most likable high's ever been. When he went and got when he got eliminated, it was like such a good sport about it. And I was like, I think that is part of the his gameplay was recognizing that like you don't want to be the bitter eliminated person. You don't want to be Andrew Savage. Um, and so I do think that everything up and that led up to this made us think that like High absolutely recognized the fact that he was going home. Yeah, I don't see how he and couldn't have. I mean, he must have felt something, but he also, I mean, the reason we got for why he was doing this was to make Jonathan comfortable enough to not play a shot in the dark, which he says he's been doing That is every to show round. me the idol. Show me the idol. Like, Yeah, well, that, it, I think that's a little far to go to make someone not play their shot in the dark because someone could play their shot in the dark and you can still play your idol for them, right. I would assume. So, yeah, it was a little much. Um, but it's interesting here that Omer is the only person who recognizes what we were saying, that... You know, if everybody wants high out, then is he that much of a threat? Maybe actually now is the time to get rid of Jonathan, who is a physical threat. And if high trusts me, me being Omer, then maybe it's more beneficial for me to keep him around. And I have the votes to do it, right? Because he says that he can get Lindsay, Marianne, Romeo, and high to vote for Jonathan. So easy to flip the vote. And it's but, really up to Omer in this moment. But see, that's where I'm not so sure. Because... I think that those players that you mentioned, particularly Lindsay and Marianne, 
would recognize that Omar is sort of like taking the lead here and attempting to flip a vote for his resume. And I think Lindsay is a strategic enough player to say, okay, well, yes, I want Jonathan out, but I want it to be my move, not Omar's move. And like, so again, I don't know how it would have played out, but Omar seemed to position it as though he is sort of the swing vote here. But I don't think that's totally true. That's a lot of votes to corral to have to get Jonathan out. And you'd have to convince a lot of people to switch up their game. Now, all of this said, I think Jonathan was the right choice to go home, just based off the fact of how well he did on that immunity challenge, for instance, and the fact that High is clearly on the outs with so many people, that that's a good person to keep around, if not drag to the end. But I don't think Omar was necessarily in the position he presented himself to be in. It would need to really be something that the rest of the group agreed on. And I don't think they would be uh, so see, I disagree. To let him do that. I think he was in the position because high because he needs high and Romeo, who both actually vote for Jonathan. Romeo was not brought right, into the plan three. to vote out high. So those two are already happening. And then he just needs him, Lindsay and Marianne. And Lindsay and Marianne are his closest allies. So I but think Lindsay and Marianne and- are in some senses you could say aligned with Jonathan because they well, they're him. all so it's the it would just be the Taku for turning on each other. But I think they could do it. And I think Omar has shown with the Roxroy vote that he's able to influence people in such a way that he can flip the vote without it seeming like this is his big move, right? Perhaps. Like the way he got everyone to vote at Roxroy and everyone put it on high and Romeo. Like that shows to me that Omar, I think, could have pulled this off. So one other thing that is interesting to consider here, which is not being discussed, is the amulet holders. Because yes, it was discussed at the reward, but high is an amulet holder. So when it comes to Lindsay, I mean, maybe this is the argument. Maybe it would be harder to get Lindsay to vote for Jonathan in this moment because her interest is in taking out an amulet holder because... I haven't done the math on this, but you would need to, she needs to eliminate two amulet holders in order to get an active idol, which she can still use by, I don't know what the last round you can use it as final six or final five, but that clock is ticking. So if they didn't take out high here, I think the amulets could be in trouble in terms of like, in terms of one amulet gaining its full power. So that's one other thing. Okay, let's go to tribal council where... Lindsay says that tonight's vote is about evening the playing field. And we get a little bit of like, well, what does that mean? And I think she's she's kind of like cleverly playing on um, Jonathan and High's sort of belief of what's going on that night. Um, and so they vote. And of course, High is voted out uh, by everyone except for Romeo. Romeo votes for Jonathan along with High. Really interesting. I think that Romeo was not brought into this vote. And I wonder why I like, are they just burying Romeo as uh, a, a goat? Just being like, look, he wasn't brought in on this vote. He wasn't in on this. Uh, the only reason he's around because of Roxroy is because Omer flipped the vote. Like, like to be able to, I, I see him as being set up to be taken to the end uh, as his zero vote finalist. Yeah. Yeah. Although I, would, I, I really want Lindsay, Marianne, Andrea final three. It would be iconic. Because I do think that, like, as much as Omar is primed to go to the end, if someone can get, especially if Lindsay or someone can get smart soon, it's like, get Omar out ASAP. Yeah. I wonder if anybody will wise up to what's going on with Omar. Because 
I, he just seems, I think, so likable. People just like yeah, him. People very trust primed. him. And his gameplay is somehow so subtle that nobody's recognizing it, which could be a problem in the end, convincing a jury. I have to say, and like, I don't know why this occurs to me now, After, but it's like there is something a little... At some point, you watch all these tribal councils, especially when they're sort of like ones like this where it's kind of, you know, pretty obvious what's going on and there's not a lot of things to work through. And you're just like... Sometimes we don't need to like do the like pass the mic at tribal. Sometimes it's just kind of like, let's get here. Let's talk for a minute. But like this one felt like all the analogy. Oh, I did love that moment though. When Marianne felt vindicated by Jonathan understanding what she was saying. Um, Marianne really is like a, a meme queen, but also just like such a joy to watch. And I want to say, I want to give Marianne like credit for the fact of, you know, she came onto this show hot, right? Like she was a ball of energy and I think a lot of people weren't quite sure how to feel about her, but I think she's done a great job of sort of like, you know, keeping the fire on, but like lowering the temperature of the burner. Um, And I've just like really, I mean, not that I necessarily had a problem with it from the get go. I mean, you should be who you are. Um, But I thought Marianne's done a great job of sort of like acquiescing to this group and not being seen, you know, because it's like, you don't want to be the person like the Nora, for instance, who it's like, everyone's just so annoyed by you. Um, And I don't get the sense that people are annoyed by her. Um, But yeah, with the tribal, I just felt like I I didn't, I felt like long and it's like, we didn't really have that much business to attend to. So we just got back into all that like metaphor talk and, you know, like evening the playing field, it's like that you could say that about any tribal council any vote ever and also she wasn't evening the playing field like she wasn't actually doing the thing that she was saying she was going to do so in that sense it's just like they're all just words like people come to to these tribal councils and just say metaphors or analogies or like you know right now like it's about doing what's best for the tribe it's like that's always it's like there's just i don't know i feel like at some point and again, I'm saying this 42 seasons in, you think this would have occurred to me sooner. But yeah, I do feel like we need to like, we don't always need the 20 minutes or 15 to 20 minutes set aside for tribal. Yeah, I do think that the the racing blindfolded was uh, <laughs> maybe an all-time low. Uh, yeah, didn't may, love that. Maybe not all-time, but it's a low. It's definitely a, bo- it's a bottom half um, <laughs> analogy because it was just like, who's running blindfolded? And, no. No. Okay, uh, so high is gone. We have lost uh, another gay strategy queen. I mean, not that the strategy was great, but you know, like the, he, he considered himself uh, qu- quite a, a strategic uh, player. And I feel like we're starting to get to the point where there's like enough of this type that I think who all walk in the shoes of Todd Herzog, uh, Rafe, um, that you know we could like have a whole season of this. You mean the all uh, but, queer uh, season? Although, hmm? the all queer season, yeah. or what? That's what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we, first I mean, of all, we need we mean we need more lesbians. We do, but we have we've got a pool to choose from. Mm, yeah. I mean, not nearly as many. I think. No, that that's that's certainly true. But there's some great ones. But yeah, I mean, it needs to be. I mean, John Carroll needs to be the centerpiece for this mm-hmm. all queer season. Um. We also have some pretty awful queers on this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, we're not bringing Colton back. We're not bringing Colton back, no. Or uh, Jeff Varner. But anyway, yes, we definitely yeah. have some queers. Yeah, all queers, all, all queer season. Yeah, I would love or it. Or okay. we could do the uh, Blood versus Water, a queer Blood versus Water. Also mm. With queer cast members. That would be fun. 
Yeah. Okay. Before okay. we wrap it up, how about Evan gives us all an emoji to comment? Look, we had some problems with the face melting. Some people didn't update their iOS. Oh. So wait, the thing this week was pizza. Was it? What was it? Pizza and what? Yeah, they had pizza and beer. Okay, I was gonna do the pizza emoji, but I just feel like that's a little obvious. So let's change things up. Let's do. Okay, I mean this is a little complicated, but I but I want to see how. Okay, so <laughs> there is a burrito emoji, but then mm-hmm. underneath the burrito emoji is like it kind of looks like another burrito, but it has like a string wrapped around it. It kind of looks like a tamale almost. Um, here I'm showing it to you, Sean, right now. So it's what would you oh. call that? No, it's called a tamale emoji. Is that a tamale? Yep, a single tamale wrapped in a corn husk. Okay. Everyone, Interesting. I would like to see the single tamale wrapped in a corn husk um, as an alternative <laughs> to pizza. It's just like, who needs pizza emojis? That's so boring. I know, I know, I know. Um, okay, let's see if we can make that happen. Okay, let's do it. Okay. In the meantime, while you're finding the tamale emoji. <laughs> it's a single tamale. Make sure that you've rated and reviewed. Hey, when you're rating our podcast, um, you don't, as as our sister podcast, Deja the View once said, uh, you don't have a limited number of stars you can give. You can just mm. give five stars if you like it. Some people are getting a little stingy with their stars. Okay, Listen. but uh, rate and review. <laughs> uh, subscribe so that you don't miss our next recap. Also, uh, we should have a new interview for you early next week. So that should appear in your feeds as long as you are subscribed to the podcast. So go find our Instagram comment your tamale do what you need to do thanks for listening bye bye